Nowadays, the archaeologists and the scholars are too cool for school. The mystery school, that is. They will go out of their way to snub Holy Scripture or any other ancient text which seeks to document the events of humanity's past, designating them to the fiction section of the university library, though it wasn't always so. Why am I even starting up a tangent on the agnostic history writers? They lost my respect long ago. I've already forgotten about them. If I think to bring our controllers up now, it's because there was a time when the identities of Ham's children, as documented in the ancient religions, were sought out. But I digress. Nearly an entire year has gone by since turning out my initial report on Ham's mystery children. Quite a few claims were made regarding the identity of Ham and his story. For example, you may recall how Zoroaster and Pan were both identified with Noah's troublesome third child, Ham. But then there are his many sons and daughters. The apples did not fall far from the tree as they went about usurping thrones. And even Nimrod, whom I identified as Nimroth the Giant, gave Ham a run for his money. I don't intend to rehash that all again. If you don't have the faintest clue what I'm talking about, about Nimroth the Giant, then I suggest you read my paper or, in the very least, listen to my presentation on The Many Lives of Nimrod, in which I speculate there were three or as many as four consecutive Nimrod individuals. The only reason I returned to the conversation is because I was sitting on a park bench, watching my children use the playground equipment in all the wrong ways, and decided to polish up on my Egyptian history until the next band-aid needed applied. There were dozens of Egyptian dynasties, the most famous being the 19th. At least I think that's the most famous. But I wanted to start back with the first dynasty, the original, the one that spun an entire franchise of dynasty sequels. Why am I not surprised to learn that Egypt's founders lines up directly with everything we read in Noah's travels into Europe and other texts, and which I presented in The Many Lives of Nimrod and Ham's Mystery Children. The scholars are free to spout their nostrils and disagree. They're good at it. But I'm thinking Osiris and Isis, as well as their child Horus, have been identified. FYI, they've been staring at us from the genealogies all along. Another thing you should probably know is that the present exercise is a spin-off to my 7,000-year timeline doctoral thesis. Understanding the disjointed birth dates of the patriarchs when compared between the Greek LXX and the Hebrew Masoretic is of the utmost importance. I had assumed you do your own research, and maybe you have. But then, even if you need a refresher, here is a chart which I just so happened to have whipped up after a cup or two of coffee at breakfast. The MT, or Masoretic text, has Noah's flood occurring in 2350 BC, or the whereabouts. But how can that be when, clearly, the first dynasty began in the whereabouts of 3000 BC, or 3200 by some estimates? Well, it lines up perfectly with the LXX timeline. That would be the Greek Septuagint. Because in that version of reality, Noah's flood occurred in 3,298 BC, giving us a two, perhaps 300-year window for the unification of Egypt, 
via its first dynasty. Fits like a glove. Don't overlook the Tower of Babel in 2850 BC, according to the Greek LXX. Egypt, or rather Mitraim, preceded the establishment of Babylon by some 150, maybe even 350 years. Another perfect match. Some of you may be thinking that Babel was established before Mitraim and that Mitraim was a result of the confusion of tongues, but then read Bereshit, that would be Genesis, again carefully. The above were the families of the sons of Noah and their descendants by tribes. From them, they spread themselves amongst the nations on the earth after the flood. All the country was agreed for settled objects, but some of them, marching from the east, arrived at a plain in the bushland and halted there. Then each said to his neighbor, Come, let us set to work making bricks and see that they are properly burnt and bricks shall serve us for stone and petroleum for mortar. So they agreed. We will build here for ourselves a city and a tower whose head shall reach unto Shamayam. Thus, we will make a beacon for ourselves so that we may not be scattered over all the surface of the country. Bereshith from the Paleo-Hebrew. The entire world had already been divided between the three sons of Noah before the tower was built. Countries were agreed upon. Those who halted in the plains of Shinar did so as a rebellion against the established boundary markers given to them, a direct indifference to the command given in Devarim or Deuteronomy 19.14 and Mishli, Proverbs 22.28. We are often painted a picture wherein the world's dispersion happened after Babel but then that same line of thought seems to treat distinct national entities as a part of the punishment. No, the confusion of tongues was the disciplinary action, a motion on the part of Yahuwaha Alahayam, intended to keep people contained within their respective cultures, or maybe a better phrase would be family bloodlines. Getting back to the first dynasty of Mitraim, Osiris was a son of Ham, and Isis was his daughter, Ham's daughter, making the two brother and sister. I want to show you who I believe they most likely were in his story, but before doing so, a review is in order. Here's what we first learn about them in the travels of Noah into Europe. And now also it shall be fit to revert our history unto the two youngest children of Ham Zorostes which excelled in all good parts and virtuous inclination as their father abounded in the country, which excelled in all good parts and virtuous inclination as their father abounded in the contrary. And that was that Osiris before spoken of, the adopted son of Dionysus, king of Libya, and Isis, his sister, the fairest and best accomplished damsel in the world, whom afterwards he took to wife and married, with whom he had also the kingdom and principality of Mitraim. These two now newly espoused, he being of threescore years of age and she about fifty, and yet our author, Barosus, terms them very youthful, began to apply themselves to the study of the nature of herbs and to the finding out of planting, tilling, and sowing of corn, which afterwards they instructed their people in, and showed the use to their neighbors dwelling in Palestine, of which ruled king and governor Shem, surname Melchizedek, 
he was the first that ever offered bread and wine into Elohim. From thence Osiris passed into Mitraim, and there also very painfully showed them the manner of tilling in agriculture, as likewise the poet Tibulus speaketh of, saying, He was the first to make plows by hand, Osiris, and having joined the iron, he pressed the boom. The travels of Noah into Europe, 24. I decided to put an extra emphasis on Palestine, or you could say Canaan. Read it again, if you need to. It says Osiris and Isis shared their knowledge of planting, tilling, and sowing of corn with their neighbors in Canaan, which, at the time, was ruled by Shem, surnamed Melchizedek. Well then, let's see what we can dig up regarding Mitraim's first king. The founder of the first dynasty is identified to us as Narmer. I am sourcing Wiki, and as you can see, he is claimed to have unified Mitraim, a credit which has also been heaped upon Osiris. Many of these individuals went by various names, as you probably know by now, and Narmer is also identified with Menes, or Means, the legendary founder of Mitraim. What really struck my attention, however, is the reference to Canaan. Wiki states, he also had a prominently noticeable presence in Canaan compared to his predecessors and successors. That lines up with what we've just read in the travels of Noah. Osiris was a contemporary of Melchizedek and possibly even righteous companion. And I'm talking about the historical Osiris here, not the Elohim he became in the mysteries of Isis. We even know the name of Narmer's wife, Nithotep. Why am I surprised to learn that many speculate the queen consort went on to become the first female pharaoh? Because Osiris was murdered, obviously, and Isis took over. Narmer and Nithotep had a child, and guess what his name was? Hor-Aha. The name literally means Horus the Fighter because Horus rose victorious against his uncle Set, the person who murdered his father. Adding to the intrigue was the Mastava tomb of Nithotep, discovered by Jock D. Morgan in 1897. You may be wondering why I'm showing you a sketch rather than a photograph. Seems sketchy. The superstructure was made of mud brick, and we are told, and I stress told, that it was completely lost in 1904, the year of its excavation, conveniently, and that it was due to being exposed to the elements. Yeah, right. How in the world does an ancient structure, constructed for desert living, completely disappear in the span of one year? Did they take the bulldozer out to that thing? For all I know, it took a tumble down the staircase and had an accident. But let's just go with the narrative given to us. I am told that the loot from the 1904 excavation is housed in the Garstang Museum, wherever that is. Oh, never mind, I checked. It's in Liverpool. Well, much of the material is ascribed with Hor Aha's name, telling us that Horus the Fighter built a grand monument for his mother. You're probably wondering why The Rock is making an appearance. And I don't blame you. I can't say I've ever seen the movie The Scorpion King. I hear it's totally fictitious, though the person they based him upon was not. There is one known image of King Scorpion 
The scorpion mace head can be found in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, a relic which I actually have set my eyes upon. I don't know if you noticed, but he's a giant. There's yet another reason why the Dwayne Johnson movie is a farce of reality. Also, if you look closely at the mace head, the Scorpion King has an animal tail growing out from the space above his patty cakes. I'm sure that's something important, though we're not expected to notice. Anywho, so little is established regarding the Scorpion King that nobody can seem to agree on whether he is Narmer's predecessor or his challenger. Though just about everyone can agree that he derived from Upper Egypt, based upon his, uh, his hat, apparently and that he was a contemporary of Mitrim's first unifier, which again would be Narmer, or Osiris. I might as well throw a coin into the wishing well, seeing as how everyone else has given the guessing game the old college try, and assign a set to the story. You will want to recall how it went down in the Travels of Noah, or how about I just recite it for you. Reading from the Travels of Noah again, after he, Osiris, thus was quietly seated in his kingdom of Mitriim, his brother, Typhon the Egyptian, who in all villainy and malice followed the humors of his father Ham, began now to repine and envy at the glory and fortune of the emperor Osiris, insomuch as he fell into a present conspiracy with many other malicious giants for the death and destruction of him and of his greatness which he most traitorously prosecuted so far, as in the end, by subtle and crafty practices, he entrapped him, who was by him and the rest of the giants cruelly murdered and torn in pieces, whose body they divided and had hewn out into six and twenty pieces, whereof every giant had a share and a part as a reward and satisfaction for such their bloody and victorious stratagem. But afterwards... These parts of his body were found out and gathered together again by the means of his wife Isis, and buried with the right honor and due solemnity, whom after his death the Egyptians held and worshipped as Elohim, as also the children of Yasharil did the like in the desert. Typhon was the brother of Osiris and also an Egyptian, even though Osiris was technically adopted by Dionysus. In turn, Dionysus was the son of Haman, king of Libya, through adulterous relations with a woman called Almanthia. This would be the same Haman who went on to become Baal Haman, undoubtedly another version of Hermon, the mountain of the watchers. And of course, the children of Yasharel worshipped him as Elohim in the wilderness. Ham, you will recall, stole Baal Haman's wife, Rhea, who was also his sister, and married her. They then brought in 16 of his brothers. They were all giants and set out to destroy the kingdom of Osiris. One of these giants may very likely have been the Scorpion King. Then again, even Narmer was a giant. Awkward. That's him all right. The Narmer palette is the only known image of Mitrim's first unifying king. In fact, he is shown on both sides. He can be seen wearing the crown of Upper Egypt while beating another giant into submission, and then the crown of Lower Egypt while being led in a parade of, well, little people. I spied Baal Hermon, probably already being worshipped as an Elohim by some, 
but also I'm detecting the presence of two sauropods. Er, um, I mean, mythological creatures. Wink, wink. One from Upper Egypt and the other from Lower. What are they doing? They are hugging each other at the insistence of their giant trainers. Who knew mythological history could be so adorable? <laughs>